Hello, friends. Have you noticed that you can get caught up in consuming content? Or maybe you notice you are hyper, hyper focused on the doing. Empaths, we often consume. And I know because that was me too, soaking up information from all my favorite teachers and mentors. But it wasn't until I started focusing more on the being and embodiment work that the door to massive clarity was finally unlocked. And I no longer got confused about what was my energy versus everybody else's. I was able to become a more clear channel for creation and as a result, transform my life, business, and health. In fact, my meditation and embodiment practice is what helped me have a nearly $40,000 month this past January, see the highest downloaded month of the podcast, and finally release a lot of unnecessary stress. And my clients felt it and saw it in their lives too. It wasn't reading more articles. It wasn't doing more busy work. So I'm inviting you to graduate from the spongy empath consumer into the self-activated sovereign healer. You can take your podcast listening experience from, ooh, I feel seen, heard, and inspired to, holy shit, I actually feel different. My being has shifted. I am the embodiment of the woman I desire to be. The Third Eye Collective is a simple way to upgrade your experience and commit not only to a meditation practice that complements your healing, but also receive personalized coaching so you can be clear on what direct actions to implement into your highest goals. There are two simple ways to get involved at $11 or $22 a month with no commitment. So if this is calling your name, click the link in the show notes to join this amazing and growing community. Welcome to the Uncensored Empath, a place for us to discuss highly sensitive energy, illness, healing, and transformation. My name is Sarah Small, and I'm a life and success coach for empaths who want to create a thriving body, business, and life. Think of this podcast as your no BS guide to navigating life, health, and entrepreneurship. You'll get straight to the point, totally holistic tips from me in real time as I navigate this healing and growth journey right beside you. This is a Soul Fire production. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode, or maybe it's your first time joining us. If so, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. My guest today is Amisha Gadiali, and she is an award-winning social entrepreneur, intuitive therapist, and founder of the Presence Collective. Her work is centered around sacred activism, which we'll talk about today, and she has inspired international audiences to become effective agents of change and contribute to the collective well-being of the world, something I feel that this community can easily get behind. She's also the host of the globally acclaimed podcast, The Future is Beautiful, and she mentors, teaches, inspires people to step into beautiful leadership, which is also something we'll discuss today, as well as her latest book called Intuition, Access Your Inner Wisdom, Trust Your Instincts, Find Your Path. And this is one that we're all going to resonate with because as highly sensitives and empaths, I absolutely believe that you all have a relationship with your intuition. And in today's conversation, we'll invite you to deepen that relationship even more as Amisha talks about the nine principles of intuition and these over 50 practices to unlock intuition that she writes about in her book. So without further ado, here's Amisha and let's dive in. 
Amisha, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you on today. Thank you, Sarah. An absolute joy to be with you. I was just saying how I'm so impressed in all that you do, all of who you are, all that you've accomplished. And we're going to talk about several of those things today. The place I'd love to start is with sacred activism. I think that's really relevant. And I'm also just really curious. So what does it mean to you on a personal level to be a sacred activist? And what got you along this path? To me, being a sacred activist is living in a way where we honor our contribution to the world that we're in. And we're very like grounded in this reality, in what's going on in the world right now and what's happening in our local communities and where we can use our voice and our privilege um, in the global context as well in order to inspire and create change. And it's in relationship with deep inner work and a connection to that which is bigger, greater than us, that lives in us, and a commitment to really knowing who we are and understanding what our part is in the puzzle, like what it is that we can offer. And in a way, I feel like with all these terms, they're not the right language. They're just Mm. the words that we've got. And I feel like this idea of being an activist is a little bit outdated in that most humans care about other human beings and about nature and the land and our future. And so it's strange that we have this sort of active word for those Mm -hmm. kinds of people. Um, But it's the honoring of that, but, you know, doing it in a way where we're really taking care of ourselves as well. Um, And and always kind of finding the balance between the two, because Mm -hmm. it can be quite easy to get like a little bit too much in the self-care where Mm -hmm. we kind of retreat and we're not really showing up in the world. And then it can also be going too far the other side and then, you know, going towards burnout. And for most of our friends listening who are empathic and HSPs, burnout's a familiar ground. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that you bring up that there's two kind of sides or ways we can lean where it's all externally the doing, the taking action, and the role we can play in that seat. And then also the more inward activism or even just self-leadership and guiding ourselves and finding some sort of middle or balanced approach to be able to hold ourselves in sacred responsibility and also be able to take action that shows we care about the world. And I noticed in on your website, you talked about leadership quite a bit. And I really align, I think we're on a very similar page page with the way that we define and look at leadership. And so I read this on there. It said, consider it more as becoming a leader of your own life, living with intentionality in the beauty of your soul. This creates ripples. We need you. This is our time. So those are your words, Amisha. And I'd love to just hear a little bit more about how you see leadership changing in our current context of the world right now. Yeah, well, I was actually listening today to your podcast on leadership and felt a real kinship in what you were sharing. And I feel that we are in a time right now where we are being called to be who we really are. And there is so much going on that can make us retreat into a smaller 
aspect of ourselves or mm. numb out and it's not easy you know we're sold the numbing out quite strongly and it is a practice to really anchor in to who do I want to be like what part of myself do I want to feed and then knowing that that what I feed is going to be what what I'm able to give in the world and and in the ways in which we show up not just for the work that we do but also in our relationships and in our general way of being. And for me, that quest was for a long time very outwards. Like I was doing a lot of projects. There was a lot of doing and trying to save something and be seen and make a difference. And it led me into such a deep inner journey. And one spiral of that came through burnout. And it just made me really understand that we can, to some extent, choose who we are. And there, there are aspects of ourselves that are like uniquely beautiful. And there are so many aspects of ourselves that will shift depending on how we treat ourselves and who we surround ourselves by and what we eat and all kinds of different factors. And so for me, all of this is part of leadership. And I worked in the kinds of worlds for many years where people wore their exhaustion as a badge of honor mm-hmm. and wore their like, you have to sacrifice to get there. It doesn't matter what you do, you know, to get there. And I'm not talking about like cutthroat um, business people. I'm talking about people that wanted to make the world better, you know, social entrepreneurs. And so, yeah, for me, it just, it just all kind of landed as all of these aspects of how we treat ourselves affect the world that we live in. And it can be different at different times you know sometimes we we need to dig a bit deeper and find some extra courage and resilience to to do something that feels scary and sometimes we have to take a nap Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and slow down and go inwards and so creating that kind of discernment where you know the difference and and really not being afraid of ourselves you know and being able to really listen to who we are what what the vision is that we have for this world mm-hmm. and be able to to share that vision and and be co-creating that beautiful future as we go yeah and and so yeah we're all leaders and we all have access to so many great tools now that can serve us and guide us in these ways Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing is an invitation that I think is so beautiful and that not only are we all leaders, but the greatest leader is not the person who is forcing and hustling and burning out the most and instead leadership, what I'm hearing stand out from what how you're describing it is the intentionality, the beauty, and the allowing ourselves to actually go inward and take care of ourselves in order to show up in our most potent, powerful leadership role. And there's a term that you use often, I notice, which is beautiful leadership. And I'd so I'd love to hear more about how you define beautiful leadership and how do we create more beauty in this world? Because I think it's so easy to get distracted by the turmoil and the pain and the things that are perceived as ugly. And how do we shift into beautiful leadership and a focus on what is beautiful? 
Yeah, thank you for the question. Beauty is... It, it's what stirs us as human beings, you know, when you see a beautiful sunrise or you see someone crying and you witness them in their beauty. Like beauty mm-hmm. isn't confined to only that which is positive right. and that which is happy and joyful. And um, beauty is a, is a sort of stirring that, that can happen often when there's something real and and there's this kind of transcendent quality to it as well, like that's undefinable. And I find that when we notice that which is beautiful, it, it connects us to our souls. It connects us to a deeper aspect of ourself. Mm-hmm. And in the, the podcast that I host, it's called The Future is Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's not an exploration of that which is happy and joyful. It's, it's an exploration of that which is human because I believe that humans are so beautiful in our willingness to grow and in our tenderness and in our complexities and in our contradictions and in our willingness to keep showing up and to keep trying. And so for me, beautiful leadership is leadership that recognizes and honors that which moves us the most, that which makes being a human important, that makes us want to be here, that makes us want to create in a way that would make our ancestors proud, that leaves something for our future generations. And It's a kind of leadership that brings this inner and outer work together and isn't afraid of the complicated aspects from decolonization to trusting our vision can be so scary, you know, Mm -hmm. so there, there are all these different aspects to it. It opens up this question for me, like, what do we perpetuate, you know, decolonization, colonization, pain, joy, the suffering or the beauty? And I think my brother, Jordan, and you actually, like, I feel like when you're speaking to me, a lot of his energy is very similar to yours. There's this quote that I found, he's passed away, but there's a quote from one of his journals that's like standing out so strong in my mind right now. And it's, I think that the most important things in life are to seek truth and to create beauty. Mm. And it's that question of like, what do we perpetuate? But also what's the fingerprint that we do leave on the planet? And what is the impact that we have through our actions, through our way of being, through who we are? And I'm curious with so much information that is available to us on this planet and in our lives and on our phones, like at all times, how do we create boundaries around being informed and seeking that truth and standing up for what we believe in, but also not get sucked into it to the point where you have this like cloud over you or you feel overwhelmed. Hmm. Before I answer that, I just want to honor the words of your brother. They're so beautiful. Mm, Thank you. I, I love that he wrote that in his journal and curious to know more about your relationship and the story, but I I won't ask now. (laughs) And I love that he uses the word create and there's this activeness to beauty and that beauty isn't just something that we witness, but it's something that we can actually create and bring into the world. It's it's an adjective, it's a doing, Mm -hmm. um, it's a being, it's all of it, right? And that's so beautiful. And this question around all the noise and all the 
Yeah, the ways, I mean, you know, if you're sensitive and you care about the world, there is so many things happening in the world that you want to be part of. And as part of that path of mastery of leadership, we also have to really know our limits and know what we can support maybe in a really hands-on physical way, what we can support in a more online signing petitions way, donating way, what we can support in a kind of holding it in our prayers way and know that my job is not to do all of it. You know, I I used to be one of those people that had the weight of the world on my shoulders. And so I did used to actually believe that it was all up to me. And (laughs) I think a lot of HSPs are the same, right? With that. I've been there too. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a process to like, to trust actually that we all have a, a piece of the puzzle. And so when I find out what mine is, when I when I really devote space to understanding what my part of the puzzle is, I can also trust that you're doing yours, you know? And, and so that there's strength in that. And I feel at this time, there's such a a yearning for truth. And we are in a time of post-truth where there are so many narratives of what's happening. Um, And it can be very scary actually going down all these different rabbit holes and not quite knowing. And I feel that this is where creating a relationship with discernment within you, but also with intuition is so important so that you can really sense how does this feel in my body? Like, does this feel true and cultivate that level of awareness so that you can really, yeah, determine for yourself what's true and where, where you need to jump in and where you need to step back and, and find your way. I think that has been definitely an invitation into declaring stronger boundaries as HSPs, as empaths, as intuitives, always, but especially over the last year as we are at home and we're just kind of consuming social media, mainstream media, the news and all the things that are being kind of thrown into our energy field or we're choosing to bring into our energy field and certainly have a choice of then how much we're consuming and how we're interpreting that and what we're surrounding ourselves with. And since we did just have a year unlike any other year, and this happened to be the year that you also wrote this book, Intuition, I would love for you to reflect on what 2020 was like for you and what inspired the book, Intuition. Yeah, thank you for the question. I, I feel like as much as it's, you know, you said we get to choose what we what we let in. Mm-hmm. And as much as we're kind of sitting at home and there's all this information, it's also a really great time of like energetic recalibration. Yes. Because we're not rushing around, we're not exposed to lots and lots of people and lots of environments. And so I've taken that invitation to to have a very deep recalibration during this time. Mm-hmm. And I have had, yeah, um, an intense year as, as most people have. My father died in the summer um, and I've been actually caring for my mum since then, which was, you know, an unexpected turn. I, I realized the other day that I came to see my parents for three weeks a year ago. <laughs> and so um, it's been, you know, it's been, it's been a year of a family time that I wasn't expecting. And yeah. within that, there's been lots of opportunities for, for deep healing, um, which I feel all of us have been offered during this year. And the book 
had already come to life before the pandemic. And so um, I'd been invited to write it in November of 2019. And in February, we were working together, me and the publisher, and I kind of gave them like a contents list. And then I hadn't actually written any of the book. And then the pandemic started. And I went into a tree house that was kind of near my parents' house, like a couple of hours away, so that I could sort of be on hand, but be in my own space and, and wrote the book during that, that global lockdown time where pretty much everyone in the world was stopped. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was a really beautiful experience to feel into like what might people need to know about intuition at a time that's going to be, you know, a little bit in the future. Um, yeah. The book came out very quickly. so. It's already out now. And at the time, I was imagining that we would be out of the pandemic when it came out. But it's got a lot of tools in there that are really great for actually the leadership and self-mastery that we're talking about, as well as cultivating a relationship with intuition. Yeah. You mentioned that intuition, you know, to be the most important skill of this time. And I'd love for you to speak on why intuition is such a potent skill for us to embody and to utilize in our lives. Well, it's part of who we are. And for a whole host of reasons, the witch hunts, colonialism, you know, there's a very deep history of why we don't have a strong relationship with our intuition, why it's not cultivated in our childhoods. And to me, it's the same as if somebody said, don't ever put your left foot on the ground. And then for 500 years, we all hopped around on our right foot mm-hmm. when we had a really good working left foot. And then somebody would be like, well, hey, hang on. If you use that left foot that's just kind of hanging there, maybe you could get where you're going faster. Maybe you could have more fun. Maybe you could dance. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> all kinds of things would become possible. And to me, what's happened with our intuition is very similar. It's an innate part of us. It's our intelligence. And it's been stripped out of our culture, you know, to the point where it's seen as something that's weird, that's woo-woo, that many of us have to go through big initiatory journeys just to be able to trust it. And yet it's just part of who we are as human beings. And I believe that it holds the keys that we need for our future. And so I feel like whatever issues we're facing in our collective story and in our personal lives, our intuition already knows. And so by cultivating a relationship with that part of ourselves, and it's not separate to the, the rational mind, they can work together and then we're more whole mm. and and that wholeness is beautiful it's needed mm. and it means that we all become so much more in touch with who we really are and we become much less susceptible to the marketing and and everything else that we're exposed to that's kind of trying to tell us that we're something else and lean us towards being consumers and being insecure and looking to each other oh what's she doing maybe I'm meant to be doing something like that or you know how do we possibly find a solution to this issue like we know we know all these things somewhere in us and our intuition is what opens that up. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I'm just super curious. It sounds like you already had a very connected relationship to your own innate intuition, but did that shift, strengthen, change at all as you experienced the death of your 
father last year? Yeah, absolutely. I did have a, a relationship with my intuition very much from from being a child, and you know, it's, it's always kind of been there. But I went through a lot of mistrusting it and yeah. ignoring it. And actually, my father was a big believer in intuition, and I felt that so much more strongly just after he died. And it, it kind of made me laugh that even with having a father that believed so much in intuition, I still had all those years in between where I doubted mine. And so, yeah, I, it was a very profound time because the book actually went to print two weeks after he died. Wow. And so his death was pretty sudden. And I was trying to finish the book so I could be with him. And then, of course, he died before and I was editing like the proofs like by his bedside and mm -hmm. and I was still you know the week of his cremation I was I was doing like final edits because it was going to print and it felt very beautiful and sacred that yeah. those two things were intertwined and almost like now he's gone and I'm I have to I have to embody more of my own intelligence, you know, yeah. I have to, I have to trust my intuition. That's so powerful. Like I feel that so deeply that he, and this is just my perspective, but it feels like he was a collaborative part of the creation of your book, not only in this permission slip to trust and believe in and embody intuition, but then to be so intimately connected to him while you were actually writing and editing the book as well. Then this like new emergence of, okay, now Amisha, it's, it's up to you to continue to trust this intuition that has been planted within you and within all of us. And you bring up a, a point that I, I hear constantly within this empath community, which is people who really struggle to trust their own intuition. It's easy to write it off to something else, to chance, to I just made that up, to whatever the reasons or excuses are to not trust ourselves. And so what's your personal experience been and, and how can the listeners start to lean deeper into really allowing themselves to trust that voice or however they experience intuition because I also think it's not just a voice it can be a feeling it can be a sensation it can be so many things but I do think that the way that we're raised in society today often encourages a disconnect I love the analogy you use of hopping around on our right foot and never putting that left foot down when it's totally usable <laughs> and yeah this journey to reconnecting and trusting if we use the analogy the left foot again yeah absolutely I'm curious as to how how your intuition speaks to you Mm. How, do you, how do you know when it's your intuition? Yeah, so I often teach intuition through the framework of the clair senses. And so I, I often also then explain the way I experience it through the clair senses as well. And I would say that the top three for me, top one would probably be clair cognizance, where it's just that clear knowing where the message channels through. I see myself as an open channel connected to God or to source. And it's just, it looks like it drops in. And I never used to trust when that information would drop in. So I've also been on this journey myself. And then I would say the second strongest way is probably the clairsentience, which is the feeling, the empath that you pick up on an energy and whether it's, it's important to know whether that energy is yours or somebody else's and then be able to utilize that information to whatever degree. And then I would say the third strongest is probably the clairvoyance and that is the, the seeing and the, for me, it's not actual like spirit 
or physical forms. It's more just a vision in my third eye, the center of our intuition, and just being able to see, see information, see objects, see clues that help guide me and making the most empowered decisions. So I would say a combination of that usually is happening all at once. <laughs> and so it's just a matter of really starting to understand, like to, to translate, because it, sometimes it feels like it comes in a slightly different language and to translate a bit of that so that I can then, like I said, utilize that information to make empowered decisions, to guide my life, so on and so forth. Yeah, I'm curious, how, how do you experience your intuition? Yeah, similarly to you, um, it, yeah definitely get sometimes that real clear just that knowing you yeah. just you just you're like oh yeah okay it's time <laughs> I'm doing this <laughs> and and there's no doubt and it's it's a very beautiful feeling and I also have quite a strong relationship with my dreams mm-hmm. and they often show me things and that happened for example when my dad was dying I had a, a dream that kind of showed me that he was he was dying and it was time to like just support that passage for him um I get visions um as well like, like in meditation and I kind of see pictures and yeah and kind of hear I hear I hear a clear voice in my in my space and I can tell the difference between that voice and various other voices you know we all have so many voices that we hear in our in our like what I guess what people call thoughts Mm -hmm. and I can tell when that's the the voice of intuition and yeah I like what you say about how it's it's not like necessarily one thing it's kind of all of them happening at the same time and that it exists in this other language and for me I I spend a lot of time learning and trusting that language Mm. and then that made it really clear it's like it's not always easy to translate it but you learn how to at least in a way that you understand yourself that perhaps you couldn't make someone else understand, but, but you yeah. understand it yourself. And the question around like the cultivation of trust is, yeah, it's a big one. And it wasn't an easy journey for me. I came with a lot of resistance yeah. and a lot of doubt. <laughs> and I had to have some pretty big experiences that kind of helped me to remember when I, every time I forgot. And even when I started writing the book, I questioned whether I could write it. You know, I was like, well, why, why have they asked me? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, by the time I finished the book, I was like, oh, yeah, I did know all of this. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, of course, it makes sense. I've been living by my intuition for a long time, just that there's still been some dialogue of doubt. And, yeah, in this process of writing the book, I kind of let go of that doubt um, because I realized that I now have a have a role in holding that space for others to let go of that doubt so I needed to let go of all of mine in order to hold that and one practice that I find really helpful for people that don't trust is to keep an intuition diary and just write down the things that you get an intuitive sense about and then write down whether you listen to it or not and then what happened because for me some of my biggest lessons were when I had very clear intuition I did something different normally for the reason of like a compromise with somebody that I was in relationship or family with mm-hmm. and doing something that resembled more of what was societally expected of me and then you know I got really sick or I couldn't sell that thing afterwards. I knew it was the wrong investment or, you know, whatever it, it's like, 
these things that happen and and one time there was a job and I really knew it wasn't the right job for me and I got really sick after that job and I had to spend quite a long time recovering from it and I was just like oh this all could have been avoided because <laughs> it turned out exactly as I knew it did I just had this feeling in my stomach that was just like don't do that and so yeah having that information in a written down really helps because it brings a sense of data and validation to that which is hard to kind of validate yeah and then you can actually start to see oh yeah okay so when I have that feeling or it comes to me like that and I don't do it like this kind of thing normally happens okay yeah we want to avoid that kind of thing mm-hmm. um and and then you can also get playful about it as well and you can you can write down other little hunches that you have about things that are far less like important life decisions you know mm-hmm. even just like what color jumper is this person going to be wearing when I see them? Mm-hmm. Just write it down, see if you're right. You know, like you kind of start to just strengthen that muscle. Mm-hmm. That's such a playful approach. I really love that. And as we're talking about this, I'm even just realizing that a lot of the trust that I've been able to build is through learning the language of intuition and being able to translate and making it an intention to learn that language and to become more comfortable with how intuition comes through for me. And then it is kind of like over time, it becomes more second nature and you don't have to think about, I guess it's sort of like literally learning a new language where you don't have to think about it so much. And now I find that connecting to intuition, trusting intuition, just being in relationship communication with intuition is a daily process that I'm not even like as consciously aware of as when I was going through that process of like learning how to translate and just reestablishing a whole foundation with it. Cause I certainly felt disconnected for quite a few years, quite a long period of my life quick story time for you all around christmas this year i was starting to work out more and do some of these prenatal workouts with some light weight with some bands and honestly just was feeling so proud of my body for all the things that it's doing, all the functions that it's taking on right now. But what I noticed was that my blood pressure actually got really low and I was not hydrating properly. And though I was feeling really strong, there was an opportunity to be able to get and replenish the electrolytes in my body from these prenatal workouts for you guys, whatever type of workout you're doing. And so Literally two days after I called my midwife asking, what can I do? I need some more fluids and nutrients in my body. This shipment from Element, it's L-M-N-T, pronounced Element, came in the mail. And I literally thought like, this is the most perfect timing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And they have flavors that I had honestly never heard of before that are so delicious. And so these little packets you just put into your water and it's for anyone who sweats. It's for anyone who does any intermittent fasting, anyone who is looking to curb carb cravings 
or like myself, you are just trying to take care of your body that is doing so many different things and performing so many different functions right now. The thing that I noticed right away and love most about Element electrolytes is that there are no sugars, no added sugars, no artificial ingredients, no coloring, literally just nothing that's unhealthy or unneeded. None of it is an element. They have lots of science and research on their blog that goes into all the reasons why the replenishment of electrolytes in your body is so helpful and so needed. And honestly, I always thought that electrolytes were something that were more appropriate for my husband who works out super hard, but it's also important for everyday health and even the gentle exercises that I'm doing in my pregnancy journey. So you guys better bet I've got a gift for you. As Uncensored Empath podcast listeners, you can receive a free sample pack for just the cost of shipping, which in the U.S. is just Each sample pack has eight packets of the Element Electrolytes. There's two citrus, two raspberry, two orange, and two raw unflavored that you can put into anything. So if you want to try it out, simply go over to our special link. It's drink lmnt.com backslash empath. That's also in the show notes and you can get your free eight pack sampler and then tag me on Instagram. Let me know what you think. We can cheers over (laughs) Instagram. So for those people who are on their journey to really reawakening, unlocking the power that exists within intuition, I'd love for you to expand a little bit on what you do touch on inside of this book called intuition. I know you talk about nine different principles and over 50 different practices that can help us unlock that. Can you speak to a few of those? Yeah, absolutely. And and one thing that was coming to say to our friends listening was mm-hmm. one of the things that helped me the most um, was having friends that were also listening to their intuition or on that yeah. path of discovery or having community and you know, like you offer like a membership as Mm -hmm. do I as well. So if you don't know people that are in your daily life that are on that path, you can find community and then you make what society has made like really not normal, normal Mm -hmm. um, by having other people around you that are honoring that process. And then you can also ask ask them and then you discover that the languages can be quite similar like I feel from talking to you like oh yeah like okay we have quite a similar framework going on in lots of different ways and Mm -hmm. um and then you're like oh well to spend more time together would then be very inspiring you know and and I I had friends that I would, you know, I would be like, oh, this happened and I had this and, you know, I'd almost be shaking. And then, and then I found the kind of people that were like, oh yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's totally normal. Yeah, that's been happening to me too. And, and then you can even go into them more detail and then you begin to learn the language because then you can actually ask like very specific questions mm-hmm. um, of your friends that are also experiencing similar things. And then you start to see that this thing isn't weird. Just like how if intuition had been honored and taught to us by our families and our schools, we would have had that sense of how it worked um, in a a clear way. So we have to kind of create these little schools Mm -hmm. um, in our communities. So the book has nine principles and I've written it in a way where it's very like, it's got a lot of information, a lot of science, a lot of spiritual teachings, um, and it's very kind of simple but layered. Um, And the nine principles are create space, be open. So both of those are a lot around how we have to 
let go of this a lot of the stories that we have and also the you know the, the space that we have in our lives in order to open up to something new that mm-hmm. or something you know that's in us that we haven't been giving attention to and then we have embody and be still so cultivating that relationship with every part of ourselves and and our inner worlds i feel like that's such an important piece because if we especially as the hsps the the empaths are so overstimulated if we don't have the stillness if we don't have some of the silence then the noise is so distracting that it's so hard to connect totally yeah and then we have free yourself so that's another layer of letting go of some of the deep stories listen so learning about the clairs and kind of all these different ways that we have of listening connect getting deeper into our sense of connection flow and trust and so kind of taking us right through from cluttered busy lives to to living in a in a way of trust Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's over 50 practices 53 practices and you know some of them are really simple like talking to a friend you know if you talk to a really good friend that's really good at listening you'll hear yourself say the answer that you're looking for and and so it can be that simple I love that you mentioned being in community with people who are also connected to their intuition as well because I don't know that I ever like have totally like thought of the the specific intention around doing that but I've I think my intuitions guided me into those containers naturally. And you're so right. When we can be in a space where it's normalized and it's not woo-woo and weird and like, who are you? Are you some sort of psychic now? Like, who do you think you are? And instead, it's this community, like you were saying, where it's like, oh, it happened to me too. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. And this validation, this normalization of something that is not any of those things. It's not weird. It's not woo-woo. It's not like, this is just a natural part of us that we just weren't taught. At least most of us were probably not taught from childhood. So I love that you talked about the space in which to be able to discover this. And like you just said, the ability for other people to kind of be a mirror for us in finding some of those intuitive answers just through conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can be something so simple (laughs) in that way. Um, And a lot of the other practices in the book, you know, there are things from doing moon rituals to Mm. meditation to nutrition that might Mm. support us in in cultivating a better relationship with our intuition to contemplation questions, you know, and journaling. There's so many different practices and you don't have to do all of them. It's just finding like the right one at the right time that might be the key for you. Mm -hmm. And, and, And I hope that the book offers a reminder for those that already do trust that intuition of how important it is. And I go into quite a lot of detail around how the subconscious works mm-hmm. and how our patterns are stored and, and how we can shift these patterns and, and, and open up to kind of new codes and qualities within. Yeah. As for me, that's such a big key to allowing us to really be who we are. Mm, that's beautiful. As we start to wrap up here, I'd love to to hear, to know from you, just what do you feel like has been one of the biggest gifts of your intuition, connecting to your intuition in your life? Well, if I hadn't, I imagine that I would probably be living a life that I didn't really like, being kind of half alive. Like just as you asked the question, I sort of saw a flash of doing a job I didn't like kind of in the treadmill of like what's culturally kind of normal, cool, and maybe 
living somewhere that I didn't like kind of being half alive you know I feel like my intuition has allowed me to explore that which is most meaningful to me and it's brought into my life incredible human beings Mm -hmm. that are on that path as well and it's meant that life has never felt boring and that I've I've ended up doing all kinds of things that I never planned to do that I never set out and said I'm going to do this but I just kind of followed one one little bit of intuition and then another bit and then another bit and then you know a whole life kind of unfolds Mm. I totally resonate with that as well I I think my life would be just so drastically different if I hadn't reconnected to my own intuition and started to follow those intuitive nudges to especially start this business and take me down this path for sure so where can everyone find the book or learn more about you Oh, there's one more thing I have to say in answer to that question, because I think the other thing that would have happened is that I would have been riddled with like self-doubt, self-worth issues, self-love issues, mm-hmm. um, because I wouldn't have found the, the beauty in my sensitivity. And for me, that whole kind of journey of like understanding that being sensitive and empathic and intuitive is a gift and it's something beautiful. It's just something that wasn't cultivated. But before I knew that, I always had a sense of there being something wrong with me, that Mm. I had all these feelings (laughs) all the time and that I had these kind of visions and I didn't really know what to do with them. And so, yeah, I just wanted to share that because it feels like just sitting with you here and this sort of reflecting process and and then just imagining like worse than doing a job that I didn't like I just might be living in a way where I didn't like myself and that that feels awful and the intuition teaches you what a gift sensitivity is yeah absolutely does and I think that's where we get to shift the script the internal dialogue of I know at least for myself I used to see it as a weakness that sensitivity the bigness of my emotions and now I absolutely there's like no doubt in my mind I absolutely see it as a strength and something that's so core to my life and who I am and the way in which I choose to live my life so thank you just for all of your insight today again where can everyone find the book and learn more about you. So the book um, you can find on my website, which is amisha.co.uk forward slash intuition. You can find links to, to order the book. And with the Audible book, there's an extra chapter that's got more of my kind of personal relationship mm-hmm. with intuition. Um, but also there's a whole gift package there that you can receive on that link. And it includes the PDF of that chapter as well. Um, and yeah, so amisha.co.uk also has information about the beautiful leadership immersion and and my membership and then the future is beautiful.co is where the podcast is beautiful thank you again so much for your time and for just sharing your story with us today thanks for being on thank you Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Uncensored Empath Podcast. I would so appreciate if you could take a couple minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you've loved this episode, please share it on social media, tag me, let your friends know about it, and I will see you on the next episode.